The Rwando Podcast is an exploration of the unconscious and the game of life. Be sure to visit Rwando.com to get a preview chapter of my upcoming book, Infinite Play, and free access to my content library. Enjoy the show. Awesome. Well, I'm glad we got together. I know everyone's busy uh, these days, but good to have you guys. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, so you both have been on my podcast before, um, but this is the first time having you together. Uh, and I'm just remembering last time I had a conversation with the three of you, we were eating pizza and wine in Bali. Uh, and that was very <laughs> yes. fun. So I'm hoping oh my God. If, if this is half as fun as that one, this should be great. And was That's it only great. a year ago, March, or was it two years no, ago? No, it was two years ago. Yeah. Time goes by, yeah. That, I, that's where I met you, Ruan. That was the yeah. first time I met you. We were sitting in a restaurant yeah, in Bali. pizzeria in Bali, which we looked yeah. very hard for. Okay. It was hard to find pizza in Bali. Yeah, actually, <laughs> I never told you guys this, but um, I, we were ha- drinking wine. I didn't think it was that much. But the next morning, I was helping out your course, Tantra Meets BDSM. And I was so hungover the next day. I don't know, let's just <laughs> start this. I didn't. I didn't want to tell you guys because I was trying to help out. But uh, it was actually I probably my last hangover. <laughs> well, don't try to keep up with Lori Handlers when you're drinking water. Right. I, I learned that lesson. She'll drink I ring you a bell. and your mother under the table. Yeah. I can't keep up with Lori Handlers when we're drinking wine. So. Oh, you should talk. We have the thing called the Omrupani pour. Yes, but Lori <laughs> right. all the way to the top. Wine. Half a bottle of wine goes into one glass and half a bottle of wine goes into the other glass. So very funny. Yeah. Uh, So let's rewind a little bit from that because uh, I think that was the second time you did your Tantra Meets BDM class, BDSM class. We had done a bunch before actually. Oh yeah. First time I was there, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That was the first and only time in Bali. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, um, could you guys uh, bring us back a little bit? How did you guys end up start uh, collaborating and then how did this concept come together? Well, that's Laurie's story. I'll talk about it. Yeah. So I had been teaching Tantra. Well, now I've been teaching Tantra, I don't know, 22, 23 years. And Ohm came to a class of mine in Manhattan, uh, New York City, a long time ago, like, I don't know, 15, 18 years ago, long time. And he he, uh, did everything that I taught, as well as what other Tantra teachers taught. He was on a, he was on a, search for uh, certain spiritual sexual practices and that led him to to start to explore kink and he went to something called dark odyssey which takes place in maryland and um he got interested in the kink side of of sacred sexuality and when i say that i say it with reverence because there are people in the kink world who are not necessarily into sacred sexuality, but Ohm is, and he wanted to uh, explore, after this, his tremendous background in Tantra, he wanted to explore how kink and Tantra intersected, or if they did. And so um, one day he called me, I had already, I had left New York and I had moved to Phoenix, Arizona, and he called me and he said, you should come and have a session with me. You should see what I'm doing. And I said, okay, so I came, you know, and I, you know, I was a little, I had, I had to think through a lot to get to this session. I was like, you mean BDSM session, right? Yeah. Like people, Mm -hmm. what are people going to think of me? What am I going to think of myself? Um, I'm a super powerful woman known in the world. What I'm going to go and get spanked, you know, and tied up by a man I love, but I mean, I don't know if I wanted to do that. And secretly, I had desires about it and 
questions about it. And, you know, there was a little turn on there, but there was also all this mind chatter. Like, what, how am I going to do this? How am I going to pull this off? Anyway, I went. We had a wonderful session. It lasted about an hour, I guess, an hour and a half. And um, it, was, it was good. I liked it. It left me, it left me, uh, it definitely left me wanting more sex. And Om and I aren't really sex partners, so it, what, that wasn't going to happen. But, but it, it, I was turned on. And, um, and then he waited a couple of years. He wrote a book first called Prerequisites to Ecstasy. Mm-hmm. And, and right after he wrote that book, he called me and said, we should teach together. And I said, really? How, how is that going to work? And he said, I can show you. You get people to make eye contact and they do breathing and they're eye gazing and they get into bliss. He said, and I can show you how to get people into bliss, the, same, the exact same bliss through spanking. And I said to him, show me. I want to see that. And that's, and that's li- literally the course, Tantra meets BDSM, was born out of that conversation. Mm. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. And so we've been, we haven't looked back. I mean, we've been on two world tours. We've been to a lot of countries. We've been around the United States. And we're now doing courses online. And we just, we keep, we keep we cranking it out. What? And we deliver. We create great results. Yeah. People well, we found, let me tell you something else, Ruan. We found out, we didn't know how it was going to work online. Like, how are people going to be? So we required, we had to change things a little bit. Like, we had to change our way of thinking and our way of looking at things. And we required people to come with partners because they have to have high touch in the workshop. They have to be able to, they have to be able to connect. So we had them come with partners. And then to tell you the truth, it was just as successful in some ways and even better in other ways when people brought their own partner and they had their own little zoom squares, like we have this, they, there were things that got delivered even better than in person. Like we've, we've, you know, we've really done a great job with it. I think. Yeah. So you've done a, a couple times of it online already? Yeah. Yes. Cool. Yeah, yeah, I'd imagine there's probably some things that are easier for couples because they're in their own home. They don't have to worry about people seeing them doing what they're doing necessarily. Yeah. yeah, that. Also, we had people come with friends. Like we've had people come with really close friends. Uh, two women have come together. And we also, we had, but I, we'll go back to, I'd like to talk a little bit about how Tantra and BDSM do intersect. But just to show, just to say, we had a few single individuals on the first course we did. And when we came to the part where we did rope tying, like we did wrist tie and we did a chest harness, they tied up their teddy bears. <laughs> That's <laughs> Yeah. Nice. That wasn't by our suggestion. They just, I'm like, people are tying up teddy bears. What's going on out there? It was, it was so creative. It was so cute. They held up their teddy bear and the teddy bear was all tied up. <laughs> So we've had a, we've really had fun. We've really had That's fun. That's great. Yeah, I mean, I've yeah. sat in on enough, a handful of them now, and they've all been great, even though the same level one, which has been yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting with that intersection because um, I he- first heard about it, I guess, while I was in Bali. I started t- telling people about it in Bali, and it might have just been the group of people, like the love and light hippie folk, but a lot of people are like, whoa, how could you combine those two things? One is so this and one is so that. 
but in practice, you realize they're almost the, the overlap is very. Um, yeah. The Venn diagram is, is very is for me. It is for me mm-hmm. to be there. like. I don't feel I'm uh, juggling two systems. To me, they just they're both about entering through the body. They're both about making room for our sensuality to be much bigger than what's just going on in your genitals. They're actually both, they both emphasize energetics quite a bit. Best BDSM is deeply energetic. It's not just about swinging a flogger or spanking somebody's ass. It's about really feeling the person. And yeah, to me, they really, they sing together. They play together quite well. Yeah. Um, could you speak a little bit about your approach? Because I think um, with, the way BDSM is portrayed in the media, the idea of like, oh, I have to wear leather and whips and chains. I think that can just put off some people. Um, and it was, that's, that's actually what my perception was it before I started working of it, before right. I started working with you. Can you speak a little on that? I have nothing against leather, whips and chains. I personally don't own any leather pants or leather vests, but I may be the exception <laughs> in that case. Most doms probably do like dressing the part. There's nothing wrong with the dress up part. I think, Sometimes having an external entry point into your archetype is useful. But our emphasis is always is on accessing our archetypes, our DOM archetype and our submissive archetype. So sometimes if playing the the fashion part of it helps you step into your archetype more, go for it. Nothing wrong with it. But it isn't my encouragement to people, our encouragement would people like just as in Tantra, you would say don't get just lost in dressing like Hindu gods and goddesses and don't just pay lip service to how it looks. That's not the heart of it. But if you're doing a puja and tantra and you feel like dressing a certain way, fine. I think in BDSM also, if you're coming only from the external point of view and you're only interested in how it looks and how you look doing it, then I think you're missing the point. Because in essence... And Tantra and BDSM will both emphasize this in their own language, but they will say it's about connecting with your partner. It's about your energy connecting with your partner's energy. And in that connection of energy, in that movement of energy, is where you're seen as. And I think doms who know how to, I would just say good doms understand that. It's about the energetics of connecting with the submissive and everything else is a tool that is applied to the end of creating a meaningful journey in your partner, moving their system in a pleasurable way, moving their system in a way that they can't move their own system. And that really makes it a two-person dance. You can't do this alone. You can't take yourself there. And I think in that case, it's very parallel. Tantra also says that there are two polarities and when they come together and they nurture each other and they bounce off of each other, each person's system gets activated in a way that they can't activate themselves completely, right? I mean, you can have the school of white tantra, which is only about self-pleasuring and self-knowledge, and that's also wonderful. But then there is the element of now you have to come together with a partner, and that's a deeper dance. It's more complicated. It's richer. Yeah. I also want to say that... um... I too thought that uh, if somebody was into getting spanked, it was because they were numb. Like, oh, these people must be doing this because they can't feel anything. Like I had all these stories about it and it's so not the case. Um, this, this 
these practices that we teach people enhance everything. And if somebody's numb, it's almost impossible to, to get through the course and stay that way. Like, it's just not about that. It's just, it's so much more about moving the psychology and then moving, moving the inner system of a person and exploring the nths of sensation and, uh, and ravishment, which nobody could do by themselves. You just can't do that by yourself. Can't scratching my own back doesn't feel as good as somebody else scratching my back. It just just mm-hmm. as simple as that. Hmm. Laura, could you speak on your experience, like when you're going over that initial hurdle? Because I think a lot of confident women have that uh, internal turmoil where they maybe maybe they are interested in it. Maybe some part of them wants to be wants to sub, but there's that like internal struggle of this means I'm losing my power or something. Uh, can yeah. you speak to that all? Yeah. Well, that was what my struggle was. And I mean, I went to a trusted person, you know, Ohm was a trusted friend, ally, colleague of mine at the time I went to, to have a, a session with him. And um, yeah, I had to, you know, Ohm puts it this way. He says that uh, if you're a powerful woman, and you go and you decide to go into a sub position, you're letting down the sisterhood. You know, like you're letting down your images of feminism and of the sisterhood and feminine power rising. You shouldn't want such a thing. You should you should not want it. It's it's uh, it's I, like I, a. It's I a, don't it's approve a of it. I'm just saying that's the charge out there. Yeah, it's a taboo. It's a tremendous taboo for powerful women. But the same token, let's talk about powerful women for a second, okay? Because I I see many of them in my practice of teaching Tantra. And so many of them have taken on the role of the masculine in in corporations. I don't only want to say corporate America because now I've been around the whole world. And there are so many women who are in the masculine. They function in the masculine every single day. And I did. And to a certain extent, I still do. Well, I'm sitting here talking with you, being a teacher. I'm in the masculine. So then what do we do? We go home at night and we want to like have sex. We want to like have ravishing, like amazing, like mind-blowing sex. And we can't get out of the masculine. We can't, we can't let it go. We don't know how to like let it go. Putting on the lingerie, putting on a, a you know, some kind of uh hot lingerie doesn't exactly switch gears. And so, um, so there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of conflict in the feminine right now. There's a lot of conflict in women right now, but listen, as Ohm puts it and he says it, you know, he goes on a rant about it. Women read romance novels in romance novels. They get thrown down and, and, sexed up you know they they werewolves dominate them and and monsters and all kind romance novels are all kinds of things right. and um i know this because i interviewed a romance novel person on my podcast anyway um th- this this is women's fantasies of 50 shades of gray you know i think i think chains rope and 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 bondage tape was sold out in in hardware stores in New York City when the movie came out. Like, women have fantasies about being submissive because they want to be taken over the edge 
to that place where they can't, they can't take themselves there. Self-pleasure doesn't take a person there. So we have to resolve that conflict. We have to be brave enough and uh, courageous enough to, to break through that taboo and say, I just, look, pleasure is my birthright. I deserve pleasure because I was born in skin. And so I can have all the sensation and all the pleasure I want, and it doesn't say anything about me if I choose to be submissive. Um, what it says is that I have uh, emotional intelligence. What it says is I get pleasure, and I can have it any way I want it. And that's true sovereignty. That's true independence. But I know it's a conflict. I know it's a big conflict. And many women are now getting over it. Matter of fact, Ohm's offering a new course with two super powerful women. And it's called The Mastery of Submission. And like women are writing to me, women I know, and they're saying, I want to do this course with Ohm. But everything in me is, listen, real friends of mine are writing to me and going, mm -hmm. everything in me is resisting this. Help me. What should I do? And I just go, just give yourself the gift of attending the course. Don't do what you don't want to do. And do what you do want to do. Use it like a smorgasbord, but at least open mind and learn. And my, the same people who wrote to me, one in particular, wrote back and said, I'm so glad I know you. I'm so glad, Laurie, that you're in my life because now I've gone through courses with you and a course with Ohm. And she said, my whole life is different. Like I'm having the time of my life. I gave myself permission to have pleasure. And that's all this is, really. And what I'm hearing in this is like accepting how you work, like accepting who you are as you are, because there's nothing, the only issues with like some of these feminist ideas is that they go against what's true for a, a woman's body, a given woman's body. And like, that's the issue, right? So it's like, I forget about the ideology and this is what's true for me. It just so happens I like blah, blah, blah. Right. I mean, I want equal pay in all the things. I want to be able to walk through the streets uh, at night and not be threatened. I don't want to be raped just because my body's a woman's body. At all those things I agree with. It's just that when politics enters the bedroom, this is like a standoff. You, there's no, there, mm -hmm. Nobody wins in the politics of the bedroom. But to deny that so many women bought this book so who do you think read this book? Women. Who do you think went to that movie? Women. Some men went too, but I'm saying more women went. And if they deny that for, to themselves, they're, they're not living an authentic life. You cannot live, you know, don't get me started. I mean, I used to live my politics. I used to think that my life was a picket sign, you know, and then I, re then I was miserable. I said, I'm not going to live like this anymore. I'm going to have my life. So Om is part of my life. You're part of my life. And, uh, and I love my life. I, I have so much fun because of the life that I have. So everyone's entitled to that. They just have to give themselves permission. You know, if I could, yeah. on my end, I always tell people I am actually, I'm a very opinionated person, but I'm actually not an ideologue. I don't live in ideology. I don't have an ideology that women should be submissive, men should be dominant. I'm always looking for what works. I'm a very pragmatic person. And I've observed and I've seen how Eros works. And the truth is, women don't want those feminist men. The feminists don't want those feminist men. 
some of them are even brave enough to write about it. Like, yeah, even in my fantasies, I am having fantasies about being ravaged. I don't want the meek men. I don't want the egalitarian men. I don't want the feminized men. So I'm like, this template is very deep. It's not an error. God has not played a joke on you. Trust your desires a little bit. And there isn't a real conflict between having your desires and having political power. It's a fiction, but it's more mainly a matter of identity. It's a mainly a matter of ideology. But the eros is, is uncompromising. It really is uncompromising. There are enough feminists out there right now who have written enough articles about they detest feminist men. They, they want to gouge their eyes out. They hold them in contempt, quite frankly. They want to like wow. them. Their lives would be easier if they liked them. Then their politics would be in sync with their eros. But the eros gives a finger to their politics saying, nope, <laughs> this doesn't fit. And then they create shadow, right? This is the most ironic part I find. In the 21st century, we are deepening women's erotic shadow because they're, they're putting up this ideology saying men should be more submissive, women should be more dominant, the future is female, men should cry and not be aggressive. And then they see the men, then men present themselves as this model, the feminist model of masculinity, and women look at these men and their vaginas dry up. And they don't want to take these men home. And when they take them home, they want to kick them out. So I'm like, it's I, not working. Be, uh, you're creating more disharmony within yourself when you think you're trying to have your ideology trump your eros. Mm. So we're actually not selling anybody on any ideology. We're like saying, at most, this is what we are offering. And we acknowledge there is a conflict out there, but trust yourself a little bit. Yes, there's a huge conflict. I call those men Alan Alderman. You know, I love him as an actor, but he's just too feminist for me. It's not a turn on. I don't know who that is. <laughs> oh, he's an actor. <clears throat> um, I, I, I liked, but you know who John Wayne is? Yeah. So I like mm -hmm. John Wayne men. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's, it's just, it's just how it is. And, and uh, yeah, so I agree. Uh, people, people can leave their ideologies behind and, uh, and, and give themselves a break. They can still pick it in the streets and they can still have causes and write things and what have you, but in the bedroom that we are very screwy There's, we can't figure ourselves out. The turn ons are so crazy and it's, there's no, you know, Freud would have a heyday today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because all these things, sex, it occurs at a level way uh, more primal than our intellect. Like we can't like, we can think whatever, it doesn't work. Right. Yeah. And actually, I think Om, we might have spoken about this on the podcast before. Um, but when I've sat in your classes in the past and you've had couples, one of the most heartbreaking things for me, and I might have talked about this with you, Laurie, too, is like, there's always a couple feminist couples in the room who haven't had sex in years. And, you know, the woman was very supported in being successful in her career. Her husband might have chosen to be the stay-at-home dad or whatever, but they don't want to have sex. It's exactly what you're describing. And if Om actually could speak on the male side of it, I feel so bad for these guys who did everything that society told them to do to be good to women, and their wife doesn't want to have sex with them for the reasons you described. From the male side, I think they are, they are in a lot of pain. They're like, they don't know how to win with their women. Because mm -hmm. they actually want to make their women happy. And men are, I think, 
amazingly flexible in how they shape their masculinity. You're seeing the evidence of this in society today. You're telling these young boys be more feminine and they're turning feminine. They're like, if this is the way to win, they will trump winning over anything else. They're like, how do I win in life? How do I be, how can I be successful? How can I win with women? How do I need to be that women find me desirable? Because women are the selectors. We listen to women to hear how we need to be so we can, they will pick us and we can reproduce and pass off of our offspring. At the second chakra level, there's this biological imperative. You need to be, and if the woman doesn't pick you, you're screwed. You're a biological dead end. You're a genetic dead end. Women are the gatekeeper. But also, you're leaving out the, um, the, whole, the thing that all of our food is filled with estrogen also. You know, like that part I'm not an expert in. You can feel me. I'm not, I'm not up to date. Oh my goodness. The chemicals in our food turn men into feminine also because there's so much estrogen in the chicken and turkey and so many things. The hormones in our food also are feminizing the whole planet, like all the species, because that stuff is also going into the water. You know, we pee those hormones out and they go somewhere. So um, everything is turning feminine in our environment. I just wanted to add that there's some things that we don't have control over because big pharma and big, you know, profits ha have right. control over that stuff. And again, I would say really from a very pragmatic point of view, if women were happy with the way things are, if women were happy with these kinds of men, I'd be like, I don't care. You're happy. Great. Live your life. They aren't. Women aren't getting off these days. Women have more freedom today than they've ever had. They're more financially independent than they ever have been. They have these dating apps on their fingertips. The societal judgment and condemnation on women having multiple partners doing whatever they want is kind of gone. We don't really care what women are doing. We can't keep track anyway. Nobody knows what women's private lives are like. They really have a lot of freedom. But if you ask them and you survey them, their satisfaction level is not that great. They can have more sex, but the quality is not great. If anything, they're kind of burning out on the current mating possibilities and availabilities. We get those women in our classes after on afterwards. Like they don't have any, they're not short on choices, but they are short on actually meeting somebody who is, who can handle them and really move their eras. Definitely. I'm, I'm a person like that. I, I, you know, I'm a living example of that and we just keep seeing them. And we also see couples who, the man can't do anything right. Like they come into the class. Om says we should charge couples twice as much to be in our classes because they're such a pain in the ass in the classes. <laughs> the women are t cutting the balls off of their husbands, like left and right. Like they have a sword and they just, you can't even get tying my hands up right. You can't even get this right. You can't, and like the men are like, oh, oh. like what yeah. should I do? What can I do? It's a it's, very deep-seated negative pattern. And it's like, we end up doing a lot of couples therapy. This is why I joke, we should get paid more. We're not only teaching them Tantra means BDSM, we're kind of giving them couples therapy on top of it because there is no other way to actually have them enter this space with each other without doing some kind of a clearing first. Because their patterns are so bad that there's no way they can come to a win-win dynamic in their DS play. Yeah. Something you guys both mentioned, I want to go back to is um, dropping into these archetypes. Like Laura, you were mentioning woman's working. She has to be in her masculine to be successful, but putting on the lingerie doesn't 
change it. Same thing with the guy. It's like he's trying to be a good dad or whatever that means. But when it comes time to bring out his dom to bring arrows to his woman, it's just kind of hard to make that switch of gears. Could you guys both speak on like, how do you train someone to do that? Because I think that's one place where a lot of people get frozen in the bedroom. It is where it, that's where the visceral work comes in handy. This is where we guide them into the archetypes and we ask them to do this often so that they can find their anchor so that they know what it feels like. And then all the rituals that are, have been so wisely discovered and established in BDSM play help you make that transition into your archetypes, whether it's going into postures, whether it's putting on your outfit and putting on your collar, whether it's going into a certain verbal etiquette. You're acknowledging each other's dominance of archetype and you're deciding that we are going to enter this and we're going to nurture each other's archetypes. We want to play this game as the dom and as the sub. And most people, when they come into this thing, they don't have too much of a uh, staying power at holding these archetypes. And this is where a little bit of guidance, a little bit of mentorship is needed, almost like training wheels, till they can find their groove. And once they do, they have an easier time finding it. After a certain point, it's almost like you need however long period to form a habit to form an anchor in those archetypes. And now you can access it more easily. But I think the bigger piece really is bigger piece that needs to come before the practice of it is the permission of it. Usually people when come into this thing, they don't have the permission to step into their dominance up. They are still holding charge against these archetypes. So if they're holding charge against them, then it's like, it's, it, it's really not going to work. But we have, we tease all that out in the class. We talk mm -hmm. about what the, what, what the, um, what the challenges are to take on the dom's archetype, what the challenges are to take on the sub archetype, like what the challenges are in the environment and our conditioning and our socialization. Yeah. We bring all that out so that people go, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm, and I'm, I could be hating myself for wanting to try this. And we, we tease that out so that people can actually deal with it consciously. One of the wow. biggest cornerstone pieces of that is people actually truly understanding what consensual domination and submission is. Because people are usually coming into the notions of non-consensual domination and submission. And then their, their attitude towards that is, well, I don't want that. And they're right. They don't want that. But they don't have a clear model of what consent plus domination looks like, what consent plus submission looks like. And that's, that's what we teach them. And the other, piece, Go ahead. With the other piece is that we, uh, we uh, give people a chance to be both. Yeah. Because we, we like to, that, that they have the experience of being both. And then they choose from that. Well, which one did you like better? Which one felt more real? Which one felt more comfortable to you? Yeah, Ruan, you can speak. Yeah, I was just going to say my own. Um, because uh, I was definitely, yeah, I've had a, a hard time with that. Um, something that did help was uh, with Ohm's classes, um, the practice of it, even with like extra formality, I think is the word you use, Ohm. Yeah. Uh, just knowing that there's a structure takes away a lot of the awkwardness yeah. and like knowing this is what we're supposed to do. Because it is, I mean, I think the word you used was groove or anchor. It yeah. was just like, uh, I was so hard to force myself into a dom role because it's so foreign or maybe against uh, 
the ideologies I was conditioned into. And I honestly got into it just because I knew women wanted it. Like it was not like an, a personal interest until I experienced it and realized how myself I felt. Right. And, um, and also to what you're saying, Laurie, like playing the sub role made me realize, oh, this is actually a gift. This is fun to be in it's this fun. role. It's not really my thing. But if I can do this for someone, that's a huge gift I'm giving them. And that's I, yeah. Right. Yeah, and the charge goes out of it. Like there's, there's nothing going on here except two people pleasing each other, two people getting each other off, two people nurturing each other, two people giving each other what they want. There's nothing, nothing else going on over here. And it's creative. I mean, I've seen you, Ruan, I've seen you do rope tying, you know, on a number of occasions. And I've seen people just like, totally, you're being super creative. You're doing all these tying and whatever, you're taking your time. And I've seen, one, I've seen people like love, that loved you, um, just really surrendered to it. And I've seen somebody who didn't even know you get tied up by you and fall madly in love with you. Like ask me afterwards, like, who was that guy? You know, <laughs> she just was like so taken by surprise that, that it had such a powerful effect on her. And right. this was just in a, you know, a half an hour thing you were doing. Yep. You were like yep. demonstrating rope tying at a, at a different workshop. Mm -hmm. So maybe you don't know that. Maybe this is the first time you're hearing that. But uh, you might have told me something. Yeah. But actually, I have a question related to that because I think uh, this is something I think a lot of guys experience. I don't know, maybe women too. But um, I know for myself, I've learned to access that part of myself in non-romantic situations really well. But once I'm romantic with someone, it, it, it makes the polarity challenging. I've heard this from other guys. It's like, to, to and I think this is an issue for people in where couples where they're life partners and they're supporting each other to switch and do both can be hard. Cause I, I see her as my this and how can I see her as this? And I found that in myself too. When I'm in a relationship, I have a much harder time uh, accessing polarity. Um, I'm curious to see what your thoughts are and advice. on. No, that. you're, I think that is the eternal challenge between long-term partners. Yeah. The conventional so challenge is the Eros fizzles out, but I think Eros fizzles out because the polarity is fizzled out. And keeping the polarity awake and alive is the challenge because you are playing other roles in the long-term relationship. You may be around here, at home. You, go ahead. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Keep no, going. I'm saying you're, I'll you, we are running home together. People have children <clears throat> together. That takes a lot of domestic energy if you have children together. And then to step away from that into Dom Sub, it is a challenge, but it's like, it's a challenge worth taking on. You know, if you know that this is what it takes to keep this polarity alive, then do it. Bring that into your life. It's the best way I know. Otherwise, domesticity and and just uh, running a life together, it just takes over. It's not very well, contradictory. Ross. Go ahead. I have a few things to add. One is, um, so so my partner and I, who you, you both know him, he, he, he and I do a number of things. One, we don't sleep in the same bedroom. So we, that keeps our pheromones separate. Two, we don't often eat the same foods. We like on purpose eat different foods at the same meal to keep the chemistry different. And three, when I first came home and said to him, he, we live together now, so just so you know, Ruan, we, since the, one of the big changes in the COVID situation is that Michael and I moved in together. It made more sense to do quarantine together than to be in two separate homes. Anyway, um, when I first came home with this stuff, you know, like I would come home from being on the road and he would say to me, you know, what's the hottest thing that happened to you this 
over the past five weeks. And I say, well, it was, it happened in the classes when Om and I were teaching together. And you go like, what? You know, and then I would tell him. And part of it was, I think, when I said to him, especially when I said to him, you could mix a little pain with pleasure. That turned him on, but he was really afraid to hurt me. There was that. Like, he loves me, doesn't want to hurt me. And like I said to him, you know, I can stand this amount of pressure. That's why we had the number system. I can stand this much. And he, he would say, are you sure? You know, and I would go, yes, try. And we'll see. So we took it really slowly. But we introduced this into our intimacy, like right away. And um, I think it's taken, and I, I'm like, a, I think I'm a living example. It has taken our lovemaking from what I thought was a 10 to off the charts. Mm. Like, really. And Ohm's happy about that. I mean, I think that we're Ohm's best, we're Ohm's best um, students and protégés. <laughs> I think that's great. We, like, we are. I mean, we, 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 really, we teach what we practice. We live what. Every time Michael and I make a video, we do a Facebook Live, we, we're in the middle of saying something, and we go, and thank you, Om Rupani, because this really went right into our lives. Like, but he had, to, he had to trust that he could actually trust my word, yeah. and that I would call safe word, or say 10, too much, 9, too much, that he had to trust that I would be able to speak that and stop him. Right. And that I would be the one to say. He had to trust that. And that's where it comes in. And I think it's fun. I mean, we have so much fun with it. And, and that, I think it's changed the whole game. I think the communication part of the DS aspect is actually something that Tantra community can use more of. That is actually some area where DS triumphs over modern Tantra. I don't know what Tantra was like a thousand years ago when it was invented. But no certainly, one knows. nobody knows. But I, I think the level of communication expertise that people who practice DS practice is really extraordinary, and it's what really makes things work. It really what and puts two people in sync with each other's system that finely tuned. And we've taken the number system, which we, which Om originally taught as pain, on a one to ten. I'll just say what it is on one to ten scale. You say what the what number pain you're receiving, and you and so the the person you're communicating, you're an active receiver. So the person receiving the pain is telling the person delivering the pain, "This is enough. I'm just about here. This is too much." And Michael and I have taken that same number system. We've made it into a pleasure system, also. Mm-hmm. So we don't. We never have to go into a paragraph about, "Oh, this is feeling so good because this and that and the other." Like. No one has to go into their head no. to communicate to the other. We, in, in our coupling, we don't have to communicate to the other in a paragraph, in an intellectual concept. We just say numbers. And we even took that in, as, I don't even know if you know this, Om, we took that into ejaculation choice too. Yeah. So one time I said to Michael, I want you to give me numbers when you're getting close to ejaculation. Yeah. He's like, that, I don't want to give system. you. No, I've taught he says, that I don't want to give you that that control over me and my ejaculation. Oh, no, and I absolutely. said, I said, I want that. Yeah. And like, it took him, you know, a week or so. And then he said, okay, I'm going to give you numbers. And like, now he gives me numbers. So it like puts all the Tantra, the man Tantra into practice too, because 
if he's getting to be a seven, I know, okay, if you don't want to ejaculate, we're not going past seven. Right. And, and the number system will also put you in better tune with his body. Because now you know what seven in his body feels like, what seven in his cock feels like, what eight in his cock feels like. So there's an expertise that goes on with this feedback loop, which I think the DS community and the DS practices are particularly good at, at least the way we teach it. Yeah. So and it's again in it's the end, great. it's only about handling your partner better, handling your partner with greater mastery and giving them what they want. And the transfer of control is just a fun element in that. It's kind of part of the game. It's not really people get it all in their head about power and control. But the reason for power transfer of power and control is only so you can take your partner to places where they can't take themselves. Yes. Mm. So I think, Ruana, I mean, I think there's hope for you. <laughs> <laughs> Why hope? What do you mean? Why are you putting it that way? No, I think because I think that you will find a romantic partner that you can do this with. It's got to be somebody you really trust. Someone mm -hmm. you really trust her work. But what makes you think he doesn't have that? Well, I asked the question. I, I get it, uh, but actually, I was I was just going to ask you a question about trust because I think one child, like the number system you mentioned, makes it very easy and safe and clear for the doer or the dumb. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of people, especially people who haven't been to a workshop, uh, in a submissive role, they either are not good at communicating, they have hard figuring out what level they are at, or like I think it's one of the challenging things during. Uh, even me too, it's like a lot of guys would reach out to me and be like, I'm trying to find consent, but she's not clear enough and she doesn't even know. It's like, what am I supposed to do? I'm sure you experienced that in your classes where the receiver is not giving a clear uh, signal. Well, we insist that they do in the class and we hope they, they understand the benefit of that enough that they continue it afterwards. Lori, wanna, we do have to- Yeah, and they also, well, I have a few things to say. One, I always advocate the practice of emotional release. So when people do emotional release as a practice, yeah. as a regular part of their diet, just like they would do yoga or meditation, when they do emotional release as a practice, then they get clear. They stop being chicken to say what's on their mind. They stop being, they stop being afraid and they stop being unclear. That's one. Two, I would tell those people um, who might be your clients, they should vet their partners better. One, they should make sure their partners are open to some training. They should make mm -hmm. sure their partners have jumped through a few hoops or would be willing to jump through a, a few hoops. Because let's face it, all three of us have spent a lot of money on our personal development yeah. and time. And um, I, I would say, I say this to all, in public speaking all the time. Where did you vet your partner? Your partner doesn't have communication skills. They can't read a book on nonviolent communication. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like people need to vet their partners a little better and make sure they're a good fit. You're trying you know? to do this with a partner that you don't trust. It's like a non-starter. I don't know. Like, what do you think is going to happen? This house <laughs> right. is built on trust. This house is built on revealing your desires to somebody who is interested in them. You have to hand yourself over to another person. So if you're in doubt whether this is the person you can do that with, it's kind of, you're, not, you're just shooting yourself in the foot from the get-go. And I hear this from people all the time. Oftentimes I'll hear this from women like, oh, X, Y, and Z is not working, not happening. I'm like, do you trust the guys? Like, no, not really. 
You like the guy? He's okay. Hey, what are you doing? I mean, who are you setting yourself up with? If the whole game is to be able to entrust yourself into somebody's hand, why aren't you picking someone you can actually do that with? And then why are you handicapping yourself and then wondering why your intimacy is not working? Now that we're taking these things online, we're much more available to people like who wouldn't normally be able to come to New York or be, right. or be able to come to Amsterdam or wherever we are. Now that it's online, it's global. People can get this and it's, first of all, the online trainings are cheaper. Second of all, it doesn't, you know, they can turn their screen off. They could be incognito when they're doing yeah. the exercises. Nobody else has to see them. This is the ideal time to get training, I think. And everything we know is online. The Landmark Forum is online. Um, you know, Tantra Meets BDSM is online. Um, Extraordinary Lovers is online. All the stuff we do is online. And that's what I mean. Like people, could, people can start to insist that people they really want to relate to get some training. Make sure that they communicate. Uh, do you guys mind if we go a little over the hour? I have a few more questions on That's this. Fine. Oh, yeah. I don't um, mind. Uh, yeah, because so uh, with this, people are stuck together a little more. I think divorce rates are skyrocketing in all the countries that were in quarantine and then they opened up. Um, with people being on top of each other, uh, having already polarity issues, maybe one less willing partner. Uh, do you have any specific advice for people during these times? Yeah, call us. <laughs> 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 we're easy to find call any one of the three of us <laughs> mm -hmm. um i i think this is a time well first of all i think this is couples are an endangered species i that's what i i'm clear about that um during this covid time when people have been locked up together some people have taken this as a time to really um to dig in and to do some some work and they've done great and other people, yeah, everything, things are skyrocketing. Um, like, I just think they should, they, if they're going to go into another relationship, let's say they're getting a divorce and they're going into another relationship, well, everywhere you are, go, there you are. Mm -hmm. So if, if the last one didn't work, you're going to try a new model and see if it works. Like, get some training, you know, do something transformational. That's what I think. Yeah, very much. We, we often say in our classes that uh, things like BDSM play, they move the system very rapidly, right? They're hot practice. This is why your field needs to be clear. If you're coming in with resentments with your partner, that's going to show up immediately in your scenes because things get, it's a pressure cooker, right? So whatever is unresolved, whatever trust issues you have, whatever piss off you're carrying, it's going to ruin your scene here and now today in the next five minutes. You may think you're just going to do a little rope scene, but the piss off you've been carrying for three months is going to be right there mm -hmm. because the system is going to move more rapidly. And I feel this quarantine is another version of that pressure cooker. I don't think it's, I don't think it's so much creating new issues as the issues you haven't dealt with are now under the heat and now they're in your face. And that can be painful, but partly it's because you have been avoiding them generally. Well, when you go, when you go out of the house, you're distracted. You can be distracted for the whole day yeah. and then come back and like, okay, whatever, we'll watch TV. 
we watch TV or whatever every night. Right. We'll read a book. But when you're, when you're locked up and you can't go anywhere, you have to confront that stuff or not. Yeah. I think all the ways people are not actually meeting each other, having their desires fulfilled, having their needs met is under a magnifying glass when you can't go anywhere and you're stuck with the person who is supposed to be the person who is in charge of fulfilling your needs and desires and meeting you in these places. So the deficiencies show up in a big way. So whatever model you have that's not working, the fallacies in it, the shortcomings in it are just under a magnifying glass in the current situation. Hmm. And I completely agree with Lori. If you don't solve it here, you're going to face it again in the next one. And people do this for decades. Over and over. Changes. Right. People, it's like they're only good at good for a certain arc of the relationship and then they bail. I should, I yeah. should write a, at least an essay, if not a book on this. I've observed this in people. Some people are only good for like three days. They're, they're great. They're great first night, second night. They're a great charmer. And then it's like you see the person and they fizzle out and they know that. And they repeat their first three days. Some people repeat six months. But something something hits a hits a wall and you don't know how to go past that. I've seen this in people in relationships. And I think that's kind of part of our journey. Like where where does where do you fizzle out? Where do you lose stamina? And people repeat the cycles. If you ask people about their breakup stories, they don't have multiple stories on what went wrong in their relationship. It's the same story over and over again. That should be a dead giveaway. It isn't the person. You're reaching your limiting point with the same person over and over again. People are very good at hiding this because it's embarrassing. Right? People don't talk about past X number of people left me for exactly the same reasons. <laughs> but people's breakup huh? stories from one breakup to another are not very different, in my opinion. It's very, very, very unlikely that each relationship looked entirely different. Now they repeat the same pattern over and over again. Mm. And under this pressure cooker, those patterns come to the surface. So like, okay, exit now and repeat the process or deal with it now. Trouble with right now is people can't even exit. Right, people can't even exit and start over again. And right now, so you're like stuck in some John Paul Sartre play here for now. Uh, so on that note with like obviously if your partner is completely unwilling maybe there's nothing to do but for uh let's say people i were talk about your class people usually one partner is more interested one partner's like hey let's check this tantra means bdsm the other one doesn't care do you have anything that you would say to the willing partner of something they could do to encourage the un less willing partner to give it a shot give this tantra means bdsm zoom crazy thing a, a go Laura, do you have anything specific on that? I got a few people there right now. The question you're asking, I got a few people right at that mm -hmm. precipice yeah. right now. And I've said, you know, just give it a try. You do, what, first of all, you, what you don't know, you don't know. So try it out, especially if one partner is wanting it. Yeah. Like give that partner the trust. Give that partner the benefit of the doubt. It's just like trying a new flavor of ice cream or something, you know, try it. You might like it. You might be really surprised and then it would mess with your image, you know, of who you think you are. Like it messed with mine, but um, to, the, to, to, the, to my betterment, 
I mean, it messed with mine such that like, you know, I'm out now. Everybody knows that I like this. And I was wondering how I was going to deal with that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <You> know, like... <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think yeah, I say, mm -hmm. try it. I think the happiest answer to that is if you're in a partnership where your partner is genuinely curious about you, they are open hearted and curious about you and your desires and your pursuits. And if that is important to them, then what you are curious about is important to them. And mm -hmm. based on that, trying at least something once or twice should not be such a big deal. Mm -hmm. I think if you're, good, thinking, yeah, yeah, if you're in a good partnership, you should be really curious about people are this women, the submissive women course I'm teaching. There's a very common inquiry. How do I find a Dom? How do I know the Dom is a good Dom valid Dom? How do I vet my Dom? It's a very valid question. And one of my answers to them is when you're meeting the person, try and see, are they actually interested in you? Are they really interested in who you are? Are they interested in your get off? Are they interested in what your constitution is? Are they only talking about themselves and their collection of 25 floggers? Right? Are they interested in the human being that's in front of them? If not, that's kind of a bad sign. If they're genuinely interested in who you are, to me, that's the mark of a good Dom because what the Dom really wants is to create a good reaction and a good response and a good arc in the submissive system. But I think that rule applies to all good couples. If you're not genuinely curious about your partner, why are you even there? Right. And if they're saying this is really important to me, you should at least pause and listen to it and be interested. It's great. Awesome. Yeah. Really good. Really good. So you guys have the class. Uh, it's Saturday and Sunday this weekend. Yes. This uh, coming weekend. Um, can you speak a little bit on it and how people can sign up? Yeah, so it's um it's July. July 18th third, and 19th. 18th and 19th. And then the following weekend, we have level two. July 25th and 26th, we have level two. Mm -hmm. And people can go to omrupani.org, A-R-O-R-G, omrupani. I'm going to spell it O-M-R-U-P-A-N-I. You can see it on the screen, omrupani.org. And yeah, that's I'll, where I'll you add the link to. Yeah, and that's where you can sign up. And it's um, it's East Coast time, United States from nine to five. Um, it's my time from six to two. But Laurie, I think we may have changed that for this course to make it easier for you. Oh, did we change it? I think we changed it to noon to eight PM East Coast time so that you could be there. You could have an easier start. Yeah, that seems to make more sense. Oh, I'm Americans. so happy. I, I find this out. Really yeah, I know dumb. last time we did it, Lori was up at 4 a.m. to start the class at 5 a.m. I was. I didn't want to repeat that for you. Mm. So oh, okay. So I'm now. excited. I didn't yeah. realize that. You know, I had it in my book, 9 to 5, and I thought, well, that's your time. I had, and so I changed it in my book. No, it's but, 9 okay. to 5 your time, so it's noon to 8 my time. Mm -hmm. Wow. Awesome. 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 Yeah. So that's great for East coast. Just they could sleep in. Yeah. Um, that means people, some people in Europe, it would be very late for them, but they can I had it. people, I had people in the course this past weekend in a different course that went to 3am. So if yeah. you want it, it's, for, it's there for you. You just have to wake up or right. go to sleep later. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, oh, made a discount code as well. Uh, if you put in Ruando, you get 50 bucks off. Yes. Awesome. So I'll add that as well. Okay. Cool. Uh, any last uh, thoughts before we close up? This has been super good. Take care of each other. Acquire new skills. You're in quarantine. Learn some new communication skills, intimacy skills. It'll make your life better. Get training. Yes. People get training in everything. This is the other big general taboo. You know, nobody expects to step on a golf course and learn, know how to swing a, you know, golf club. But somehow everybody thinks intimacy, sensuality should be automatic. Like, why? Who has told you this? Mm-hmm. And what is your track record that's backing up that presumption? <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. So the three of us, Laurie, I certainly, we have like made a lifetime journey of increasing our mastery in this field because it's complicated and it's fun. So seek education. It can make your life a lot better. Did all of this yeah. stuff is really teachable. Within one weekend, we can give you the basis, the foundation, so that you can start having real DS dynamic and scenes with each other. And that's actually something. Because there's a lot to cover. But we've designed the level one course so that by the end of that weekend, you actually have cleared out your bad ideas at what BDSM is. You have a foundational idea of what this is and you have enough tools to play together. And you know, and we mean play, we mean play. And play, it's yeah, hard. really be playful, really bring more lightness and fun and expression in your life. And we deliver. We've been doing this for a long time and we feel really good about how we feel at the end of our courses. Read our testimonials. Wonderful. Yeah. Ruan, yeah. thank you so much for having us yes. today. Really a pleasure to be yeah, with you. It's great to see on. you. All yeah. the way from <laughs> Thailand. Right. world yeah. is becoming small. Yeah, I was hoping to meet you guys in Europe, but uh, yeah, this, this, I this works. We, we missed Amsterdam. <laughs> we were supposed to be in Amsterdam at this time. Mm. Yeah, we were. We, we listen. July. We miss it, but you know what? We're doing, we're, we're making lemonade from lemons. We're having yeah. the best time online. Yeah. So. Cool. cool. Well, thank yeah. you. Thank you. All right, love. Thank you so much. Bye, everyone.